called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And we're going to be asking some of those big questions about what is it that really matters in life. Uh, John Orberg told the story there of playing with his grandmother, the game of Monopoly. And, uh, you know, I love hearing that story. It brings back memories for me, too, of playing Monopoly with my sister. And uh, I had a sister who was six years older than me, and I remember there were some summers where we were playing Monopoly almost every day, too, it seemed. And she had this curious habit. I don't want to say she was cheating, but she would slip $500 bills under the board on her side and hope that during the game when she needed them, she could pull them out without my noticing. But I usually did. And the frustrating part for her was that I often still won the game. Uh, that, uh, you know, we would uh, play and compete and do this, and I don't know why. Maybe God was looking out for those who couldn't look out for themselves since I was the younger one. And uh, she, would, she would get a little frustrated when I still won when she was doing that. You know, we can laugh about it now. That was just a game, and that was many, many years ago. But there are some people who think that that is the way to get ahead in life. It's to lie or it's to cheat or it's to take advantage of anyone that you can to try to get ahead and accumulate all the possessions that you can. And they've bought into the lie that life is measured by what you own. Life is measured by what you possess, whether it is money or houses or buildings and properties or titles or trophies or degrees. And somehow they think that that is the measure of life. But Jesus had a different way of looking at life. And this series reminds us that one day it's going to come when all that we have is going to go back in the box, if you will. And what happens then is that what life is all about. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21 this morning. And we're going to see what Jesus had to say about that. And Jesus was teaching a crowd of people when someone in the crowd stood up and said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now here was kind of an unusual thing, maybe to shout out in the crowd, Teacher, you know, I want you to help me settle this inheritance matter. Well, the truth is the rabbis were often asked to be an arbiter or to help settle an estate, but that isn't why Jesus came. That wasn't his interest in this situation. He was more interested in this person's soul. And so Jesus replied to him and he said, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, I look at that verse and I think if Jesus said that to first century people living with what they had and their means and their income, what would he say to those of us who live in the 21st century when we're surrounded by things and stuff all around us, things we can buy, things we can have and own, things that can clutter our life? I think that this is a word we need to hear. 
Why is it that greed is so dangerous? You know, there are other verses and other places in the New Testament where greed is mentioned. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, why is greed called idolatry along with those other sins? What is it about greed that is so uh, insidious in the way that it can affect our lives? And do we take that command seriously when it says we are to put it to death in our life? Apparently God does because in that next verse he said, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. God hates those sins of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed because they become that idol in our life that displaces him. That We begin to value stuff, things, possessions more than we do God, and it becomes an idol in our life. Why does the Bible say in Ephesians 5, verse 3, for example, that among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper for God's holy people? You know, I read that and it says not even a hint. It's not like, you know, just don't do it. It's like don't even get close to it. Don't even let there be a hint in your reputation, your conduct of these kind of things. And in particular, this morning we're talking about greed. Why is greed so dangerous? And let me share three reasons from the scripture. Number one, greed feeds a self-centered life. Greed and selfishness go hand in hand. The greedy person thinks only about himself. Now, I want you to notice, as I read a little farther in this parable that Jesus told, how many times the word I or my come up. Look at verse 16. He told them this parable, that the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. How many times did the word I or my show up in those verses? There's 11 times, 11 times in those three verses. It is all about me, this man thought. And the rich man thought that he had done it all, that somehow he had earned all of this, but Jesus didn't quite share that same assessment. Did you notice that when Jesus told this story, he said the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. The ground produced a crop. Now granted, this man had to work the soil, or he had others who maybe worked it for him, and he had to be involved in the operation of farming, if you will. But who was it that gave him the land? And who was it that caused the sun to shine and the rain to fall? Or who withheld the disease or the storms that could have wiped out his crop in a moment? Who gave him a mind to think? And who gave him the ability to work? 
It was God. It was God who provided all of these things, and yet this man did not see it at all and somehow thought that by his own ability he had been able to acquire all of these things. When we look at our world, where do we see examples of greed today? Well, sometimes it's easy to point at others or the other direction and think, well, you know, corporate executives or Wall Street traders or maybe entertainers and athletes. But it's not something that you can state with a blanket statement. Because the problem isn't money itself. The problem is our attitude toward it. For example, Bob Eucher, who was a former Major League Baseball player, once made this statement about today's salaries. He said, I don't begrudge what these guys make, but what really bothers me is that they think they deserve it. You know, he was getting at the heart and the attitude, and there are some who are very much like that. The problem isn't money per se. The problem is with our attitude toward it. And that same attitude can affect us if we fail to acknowledge that everything that we have comes from God, that's a gift from Him, or it can affect us whenever we find ourselves more concerned about our stuff what we own, what we have, then God, and that's idolatry. Greed also gives a false sense of security. Now, this man was planning for retirement, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, this man, though, was doing it without any thought for God. Uh, he thought, I will build bigger barns, you know, and I'll uh, put everything I have into my 401k, and I'm going to have all these possessions and things stored up so I can live for many years. And then I'll say to myself, you can take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now that expression, to eat, drink, and be merry, was really a, kind of a figure of speech for a hedonistic lifestyle. It was the kind of person who thought, you know, I'm just going to live for personal pleasure and comfort. And so I've taken care of everything to provide for myself. Again, it's really reflecting this attitude. It's all about me. Now, Jesus isn't saying don't plan for the future. The Bible does say in Proverbs 13, for example, that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children that it is right to plan for the future. And it's a good thing to do to provide for our kids that they might be able to get a good education or for our grandchildren in that way. But this man's problem was twofold. This man's trust was in his wealth and not God. And this man was looking to the future, his retirement. The problem was he wasn't looking far enough ahead. He was thinking about this life, and he was not thinking at all about eternity. That's why I love the way Randy Alcorn puts it when he says that we should live for the line and not the dot. The dot is today. The line is eternity, what will go on forever. And so we aren't just to think about today, but we're to think about what is to come when that day happens when our life comes to an end and all that we have in that figure of speech will go back into the box and belong to somebody else. What will happen then? There are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. 
Pharaohs have tried to take their wealth with them and building great pyramids and trying to put all their treasures in there for the afterlife, and those treasures remain. The Mayans, the Incans, even the Vikings did the same in their burial mounds where they would put their treasures thinking that somehow that would carry with them into the next life, but it does not. It all stays behind. And thirdly, greed leads to misplaced values. Greed blinds our eyes to what is eternal. Greed is what caused this man to miss what was truly important in life. His relationship with God and his relationship with people. And so Jesus said to him in this story, he said, then, then he said, this is, excuse me, uh, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This man was so blind that the only thing that God could say to him is, who's going to get what you leave behind? Do you ever think about that? It's not going to be there forever. And God called him a fool because of the choices that he had made. And then Jesus makes this application to all of us, and he says that is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. In 1923, there was a very important meeting that was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. And in attendance at that meeting were nine of the world's most successful financiers in their day. Those present were the those present, excuse me, were the president of the largest independent steel company, the president of the largest utility company, the president of the largest gas company the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest stockbroker of his era, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, the president of the Bank of International Settlements. Here was gathered a group of the world's most successful men, at least in terms of men who had found the secret of making money. But 25 years later, let's see where these men were. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, died bankrupt and lived on borrowed money for five years before his death. The president of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died a fugitive from justice and penniless in a foreign land. The president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, went insane. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cotton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was released from Sing Sing Penitentiary. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, died of a suicide. The head of the greatest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, died of a suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, died of a suicide. All of these men learned well the art of making a living, but not one of them learned how to live. They never learned what is really important. And Jesus said, what good, is it, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? I mean, what if you got everything that you wanted financially in life and you made it to the top in a sense like these men did? 
but did not know God and did not value the things that he values, it profits nothing. It's not a problem with the money as much as it is with the heart. It's the heart that God is looking for. And that's why he is so concerned about greed. Because greed reflects a self-centered heart that thinks it's all about me. So what is it that we should be investing in? And how should we live as the people of God? Well, that's what the rest of this series really is going to be about. And you'll be able to talk about it some in your ABFs today and in the weeks to come as we look at different topics under this heading. But let me just share a couple things from the scripture today. How do we guard our heart against greed? Well, it's interesting that the answer is found in the very next passage. Where Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Don't worry about those things. Don't make those the central priority of your life. Instead, he says, seek first his kingdom in verses 30 and 31. He tells them that the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. God knows that we need food. We need shelter. We need clothing. We need those things that are so essential to life. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. God will provide for you just as he clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air. God will care for you. So what is it that he wants us to do? He wants us to put him first in our life. To acknowledge his lordship in every area of our life, in our time, in our marriage, in our family, in our work, in our money, in our home. And then he wants us to be a people who learn to give generously. Who learn to give generously. In verses 32 and 34, he said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't hoard those things on earth. They're going to perish. It's foolish to even think about doing that. But give generously. Be that kind of person who gives back to the Lord, who's involved in what God is doing in this world, and use those resources well, and God will bless for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, in history, there are many different examples of this, of people who have done exactly that. I think of C.T. Studd, who was a British cricket player who gave away his inheritance of what today would have been over a million dollars to go as a missionary and to serve in India and China and Africa. And because of his commitment, thousands were led to Christ in his life. He was a man who gave up earthly treasure and stored up heavenly treasure because of his commitment to follow Jesus Christ. When I was in college in those years, there was a young man named Ralph Drollinger who was a basketball player at UCLA. 
He was seven foot two inches tall. He was uh, very good, played for John Wooden in those years at UCLA. And when he graduated, the Boston Celtics had drafted him, sent him a million-dollar contract to sign. And you know what he did? He sent it back to them unopened. He returned it because he had chosen to play basketball with Athletes in Action, a ministry of Campus Crusade, where he would go around and share the gospel with college students all over the country. God used him to bring the gospel to other people for the sake of Christ. And I remember in that day when that happened, that was just like, you know, big news. Like, why would this player do this? This is, you know, foolish in the world's eyes to even think about that. But that was the choice that he had made. And I think about even this week, Gil and I were watching the news on Channel 4, and there was a story of a young five-year-old boy who had a special birthday wish. And I'd like us to show that now. Take a look at the Trucks, screen. Building blocks and a new baseball bat typically top a little boy's birthday wish list. Yeah, but tonight we share the story of a five-year-old in St. Paul who wanted nothing of the sort. Instead, the preschooler wanted his party guests to give to an orphanage in Africa. WCCO's Aristide Brady explains how the boy's gesture unexpectedly came full circle. This week's been full of sleepless nights for five-year-old Liam. In just two days, it's his very first birthday party with friends coming over. I think all that's coming is nine people. Inside his invitation is this handwritten note telling those nine guests he didn't want any presents. Instead, please give it to Light of Hope, a school in Africa where some mothers die and then and they don't have much, much love, Liam. The money donated will go to purchasing chickens so the students can bring home eggs to their families. All of them will get eggs soon. Appreciative of the gesture, the students sent Liam back a little something. They were holding up a sign that said, Happy Birthday, Liam. And when we asked Liam how his heart felt. Happy. Because they don't have so much stuff. Do you think you already had enough stuff? Hmm. Yeah. Look how much we got. It makes you cry. Um, it brings tears to my eyes every time I think about it. I mean, I want him to grow up to be somebody who is aware of the world and aware of other people. It's a good start. <laughs> Cute. You know, it was really neat, too, to see the uh, attitude of the announcers who saw that as well. And just their, uh, their tears uh, later when they were talking about it and describing it. Do you recognize the name Light of Hope? Uh, now, that's a ministry that Brenda has gone to the orphanage there in Africa, and others of you have supported in that. And it's a good work that they are doing to care for those kids. And here's a little boy who caught the spirit of generous giving. I've got enough. I've got enough stuff. And so I don't need more, you know. Let's give it to those who don't have much at all. And that's the spirit, really, of generous giving that God wants all of us to have. This joy in sharing what God has given to us you know, and I think about it when it comes to things like the sharing shop, and we look at our closets, and our closets, you know, have all kinds of clothes in there. Well, get some of those out of there and bring them and give them to those in need. Or when I think about the ministries of the church and the work that we are doing, Feed My Starving Children, 
we have enough. Let's do something that will be able to help feed the hungry. Or when I think about missions and ministry and what you give to the church to support the work here, that's what allows us to minister in our community. That's what allows us to help with benevolence funds or what allows us to send people out to the world in missions. We need that. And we have a great privilege to be involved in that. And you know, I think about our church and I just, I praise God for your generous giving, but I also think about how many there are who are still on that journey. And maybe you've never come to that point in your life where you've been able to trust God and give a tithe to Him or give a certain percentage of your income and do that. And I would encourage you to take that step of faith in your life to begin to give God a tithe of your income. Give to him the, ten the tenth that he has asked for in Scripture and or in tithes and offerings. And trust God. You know, when it comes to the area of giving, it's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this. Bring to me what I ask of you and see if I will not pour out a blessing until there's no more need. And I think that the best way to defeat greed as an attitude in our life is to learn to give generously to God. And then finally, another theme that we're going to hear throughout this series is from the great commandment that we are to love God and to love people. And in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 38, the Scripture says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and with all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, in the days of the Alaskan gold rush, there were two men that found gold in the Klondike. And they found lots of gold. And they were so excited about unearthing more and more gold that each day they went to their work, but they neglected to store up provisions for the winter. The seasons were changing, and they were so focused on their gold and what they were finding that that first blizzard came and caught them unprepared. And nearly frozen to death, one of the men wrote a note explaining their foolishness, and then he laid down to die, having come to his senses too late. Months later, a prospecting party discovered the note and their frozen bodies lying on top of a huge pile of gold. They were obsessed with their treasure, and they had not taken into account that the fair weather would not last and the winter would come. They failed to prepare for an imminent future, and the gold that seemed such a blessing proved to be a curse. Don't let that happen in your life. Instead, God calls us to put him first, to seek his kingdom, to give generously to the Lord's work and invest in those things that are going to last for eternity, to love God and to love people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for the examples of others and how even today we can learn from the heart of a five-year-old boy who has caught the spirit of giving. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who would excel in the grace of giving just as you have taught in Scripture. And that we would do it with joy 
with uh, delight in our heart when we see you at work in the lives of others as we give and where we would also see you at work in our life, experiencing freedom, experiencing joy, experiencing just the blessing of relationships with others because of what you are doing. So Father, help us in this area. Help us to put you first and to be a people who give generously. In Jesus' name, amen.